I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Angela Bishop, and for the past 30 years, I've been lucky enough to interview some of the funniest, loveliest, and zaniest celebrities around. There have been some cracker interviews, but what you see on TV is usually just a fraction of what's actually recorded. Find out what went off before the cameras went on. This is Starstruck with me, Ange Fisher. This time, we've put together a menu of tasty little morsels, bite-sized chunks, if you like, of interviews with some of Hollywood's biggest stars. First up, Mad Max himself, Mel Gibson. I caught up with him at his old acting school, NIDA, or to give it its full name, the National Institute of Dramatic Art in Sydney, where the new graduate school was opening. I didn't realise it had been 40 years since he went there. What does it feel like for you to be back here at NIDA after 40 odd years? Well, that's okay because it's like, it seems like a wholly different place. And that's because it is. Mm. Because I used to be somewhere else. The institution was located somewhere else. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, 40 years, oh my God, you know, it's a long time. Not for some people. Some people, it's just a walk in the desert, but you know, it's a long time. Good memories. Your year, 1977, was a particularly bumper crop of graduates. Was it? Mm, I don't wow. know. Bumper? Steve? Oh, Steve, yes, of course. Uh, Judy. Judy. Yeah, yeah, there was some Steve good... Bisley, Judy Davis. I should yeah, give their yeah. full name oh, so yeah. we know about whom we speak. Of course, yeah. It was a great year. But the, I, the year after wasn't bad either. And the year after that was even better, I think. I don't know who was in those years. Did you have, like, a special teacher or a special mentor or someone here at NIDA that really inspired you? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yes, there were people and good ones. And sometimes you have to say, well, were they mentors or tormentors? <laughs> and it was like... Um, you know, there was, uh, there was this old uh, teacher in movement who was, you know, she was pretty tough. And then there was someone in voice who was amazing. Her, her name was Doreen Hogan. She was, a, she was a pillar of this place. And we had, you know, an acting guy called George Whaley who was phenomenal and uh, a movement guy called Keith Bain. And, you know, it was, uh, there were some very good, very good, very experienced, very knowledgeable mentors here. And we took a lot from them and they fed us. And we were able to take those things that we learned from them into the world, you know, so it was nice. Was it hard? I enjoyed it. It was hard sometimes. I mean, there was like long hours. You were living on like 15 bucks a week, you know, when you go home and there'd be a cockroach smoking a cigarette on your bed, you know. And it was like that kind of thing, you know, sleeping on the floor. No locks on the building, you know, you'd wake up and there'd be some toothless old gummer crawling in with you. You'd be like, you know, pretty funny. But, uh, you know, uh, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. I mean, you're young, too, so, you know, you got so much boundless energy. I mean, 19 years old, for Pete's sake. I mean. You came from this huge, this family, huge family of brothers, okay, yes. all you boys. What was their reaction when you said, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to go and study acting? Well, I didn't know I was going to do that either. It was just a, something that I tried, amongst other things. And 
I got accepted. It was a fairly hard thing to get accepted in those days. I think there were a lot of people trying to look for these very few positions. So I got, eh, come here. So I thought, oh, I'll take that because it seemed a rarity. Um, what did they think? I, th I thought they thought it was all right. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't get a rough time from them. No, no ribbing at all? No, nothing. No. Gee, that's good to know. Yeah. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> we'd, so finished, we'd finished all that. We, we were in our late teens. We'd already punched each other and made up and hugged <laughs> each you know, other. All the, all the nonsense is over by then. Yeah. So your first big role when you got out of NIDA was Mad Max? Was that the first Straight time? Straight away. I mean, the day after. I mean, it was like off to Melbourne and, you know, put on the vinyl suit. Yeah. How did you get it? I think I just walked in. Oh, my God. I went into a... I drove a friend. I drove Steve, actually. Steve Beasley. Yes. And I waited for him while he did his audition. And I was sitting in the, um, in the waiting room. And I had had, I'd had a bit of a stoush at a local pub a couple of nights before. And, I, and I, I came out the worst for it. So, you know, my head didn't... I was all like black eyes. And my nose was over here. And, you know, I didn't look too hot. And these girls were in there going, what happened to you? So I was making up all sorts of stories. <laughs> and... Uh, I was talking to him for a while. I got him laughing. They said, come back when you heal up, you know, and we'll, we'll run you through the mill. I said, okay. So I drove him home. Then I came back like three weeks later, and they didn't recognize me, so I pointed to the Polaroids they'd taken up on the, and they said, oh, it's you. So they, they put me in there. I told George a joke, and he gave me the gig like that. So it was wow. good. Yeah. So was that experience, did that convince you that it was movies that you wanted to do, or...? Well, no. I, uh, was that your ticket to Hollywood? Did it all happen quickly? Well, I guess. I mean, I, mean I, I hadn't actually thought about film, mm. you know. It was like we were trained um, in stagecraft. Yeah. And, uh, and, of course, that's what I did uh, after that, you know. Yeah, well, I saw you at, um, uh, with uh, the late, great Warren Mitchell who just oh, passed away. Oh, yeah, he away. just passed away. Sorry to hear that. I saw you in um, yeah. Death of a Salesman. It was over 30 years ago. Thanks. Hmm. I think it was the last time I was on stage. I think Thanks. I was a very little girl. <laughs> <laughs> you were a child, a mere child. Yeah, a mere child. But yeah. it was so good. Yeah, Warren you, was amazing. In and that you movie. were a great biff. Oh, well, you know, I don't even remember. It's amazing <laughs> the stuff I don't remember. But... Um, yeah, where were we? I Did Hollywood know. sort of come quickly after that? Was it was it just like they? Pretty just... much, I think it was uh, because that was literally the last time I was on stage was that show. Yeah. So you did Mad Max, and then if you like it, the, the... and then several other things. Yeah. And, you know, I just uh, one thing, sort of, it felt like dominoes after that. You know, yeah. It's good. Do you think that it's important for actors and those people who want to act as a, as a career to study? Do you think that that's a vital part of it? Uh, absolutely. I think you need to. I mean, everyone's born with an innate talent for one thing or another. Some people in the performing arts. And I think you need to have a place to, um, to hone that. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to give you any extra, you know, juice in your battery. But, you know, you're born with what you're born with. But I think you can be taught how to use it better, more economically, and I think study is, is, is a very important part of how to use the gift you've been given. So that's everything from the vocal exercises to knowing how to do Shakespeare, all yeah, of these things are crucial? Yeah, of course, because you know, uh, you don't just naturally know how to do that stuff. Somebody mm -hmm. who knows has to impart some kind of knowledge and help you through it. And you may have an aptitude that way, but uh, someone, someone you, you need to spend time bringing that out. And, th and those are skills, you know. But most people in the business, in Hollywood, for instance, are they trained? I don't know. I think Some a lot are. of them are. Some of them are amazingly well-trained, mm. you know, but um, I'm sure. But I never really, you don't ask people. I know when they're good and when they're not. Mm. 
Mm. Did you study directing at all as part of your course when you were here? Or no, I did not. Purely no. acting? No. And nothing. so if the graduate school was open back then, would that have been something you would have looked into? Well, perhaps, except for I didn't really need it because I was um, in a situation where I was in the middle of the hub of things and I could actually stand there and watch and learn, watching masters at work and asking a bunch of questions, but not everybody gets that opportunity. No. So of course, a postgraduate school is an amazing thing to be able to fool around with cameras and lenses and storytelling and you know, studying Eisenstein, you know, with, you know, whatever he had to tell us about filmmaking. And he had a lot to tell us about filmmaking early on. So, so. You're here in Australia at the moment directing Hacksaw Ridge. What's it feel like to be doing that here? It's great, you know. It's interesting. I was just thinking this morning that, uh, well, first I was sitting there sort of taking in the, the sort of viscera of the harbour, thinking what a great place this is and, it's, and uh, how lucky it is. And, um, and I thought it's interesting now that this has become a place where one can make a film with a world theme that doesn't necessarily even belong here. You can take a story from somewhere else and bring it here to make it, so it's a kind of a preferred destination for these things, which tells me that the industry is really mature and that it has all the facilities, all the talent, all the everything it needs to flourish to be able to tell a universal story. How is filming going on it? What's it been like? It's good, you know, it's like, hey, filming always has its problems. You gotta jump through the hoops and hop over the hurdles and, and try and do it on time and under budget, which is like a whole other skill set that I don't really possess <laughs> uh, a talent for. But, um, but we're getting there, we're, we're getting there, we're getting there. And, and uh, at the end of the day, you know, maybe I've got it, maybe I don't. I don't know. What are we gonna say, what's it about? Uh, hopefully, I think the heart of the story is what is is the most important part of it. I mean, there's a lot there. Um, you know, there's a lot of boom and bang, you know, because there's a battle in Okinawa, which in the Pacific was the highest loss of life in, in, you know, in the South Pacific, but in the Second World War. But the central story is about a man who's a conscientious objector and who goes to war and doesn't bear a weapon, but gets, a, a, gets in the midst of, of every horror and uh, save lives rather than takes them. And uh, he won a Congressional Medal of Honor. I mean, there's very conscientious objector who just more guts than anything. Just when everybody else wouldn't go someplace, he went there, you know, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. You've assembled an incredible cast, Vince Vaughn, and oh, Garfield. Yeah. yeah, great cast. And Every, uh, all the boys here, Sam, you know, Worthington. Worthington. Yeah, yeah, all like Riot Corps. And a couple of Gibson Juniors, am I oh, right? Yeah, oh yeah, a couple, no, well there's just one uh, in, in the acting, but there's another guy in the cameras. Oh great, so they're following you into the biz? Well they, they have their own sort of thing that they love doing, so I haven't encouraged or discouraged, I've just merely, you know, been there to help out if they need anything and see what they do. This graduate school that we're opening today, what, what do you think is going to be the best thing about it? What do you think it's going to offer our industry and those wanting to go into it? I think it's going to increase productivity of just, and, and um, I think that the appetite for artistic endeavor will get bigger. Um, because I think people already versed in, in the skills and what to do will sort of delve deeper in and realize that there should be no limit on what they can do because this place is capable and it's as good or better than anywhere in the world, you know? And, uh, and I think that that needs to be realized 
and a, and a graduate postgraduate school like this will just up the ante and just like make people reach higher. I'm, I'm hoping. It's still a tough business in which to make it. Sure. As someone who has, yeah. what's the secret? Ah, geez, I don't know. I think just try and be truthful, you know? A lot of people get by on not being truthful, so maybe that's not the best advice, but <laughs> geez, I mean, try it. You know? I faked it. <laughs> There's only one word that can describe this next star, and that is unstoppable. In 2009, the incredible Liza Minnelli brought her magic back to Australia after a 20-year gap. And we had a chat backstage at the Sydney Opera House, where I went home with what is definitely an unusual piece of memorabilia. Because she's the star she is, she was having a cigarette where probably most people wouldn't be allowed and stubbing it out in a glass of water. Just as we were packing up after finishing the interview, it occurred to me that the two cigarette butts she'd left behind in that glass of water held some of the most valuable showbiz DNA in the business. So I swiped them. Yes, I have Liza Minnelli's DNA very carefully preserved in case we need it. Liza, we are so excited to have you back and we're here in the Sydney Opera House. You haven't performed here before, have you? No, I'm so excited, I can't tell you. I'm really excited. Because <laughs> I've seen it being built. I know. Over the years, <laughs> you know, I really have. That's so beautiful. Of course, I one mean, of... It's purple. It is purple, it's your colour, it goes with everything you've got on. We have well, it designed. Well, I did this on purpose. <laughs> the first time you came to Australia was with Peter, was that right, with yes. Peter Allen? Yes. Good memories? Oh, wonderful memories. And uh, I came again with him, yeah. you know. And then we came back several times just to visit, not to work. So it was great. So every time you take to the stage here, which may I say is not often enough, um, is there a little bit of Peter in your, in your heart when you perform? A little bit of Aussie Pete? Of course there is. And I think that there's a little bit of everybody else that I've ever had the privilege to know and the privilege to work with, and definitely, Peter was great. <laughs> He's a tremendous performer. Um, you were asked uh, a few moments ago in the press conference about the wonderful Sally Bowles, whether she was a, a shadow for you or a friend, and you said she's definitely been a friend. Oh, sure. The song Cabaret, you, you say that you act through your songs. What does that mean to you, singing it now? Well, I, I have to sing it every time, like I've never sung it before. It has to be completely different. And, and to do that, I have to go back to this story. Uh, as with every song. Yeah. You know, with each song, I know what color hair the woman has. What, what's her view outside of her window? You know, what, what kind of flowers does she like? Where does she live? What's she looking at? You know, what kind of decals are on the refrigerator? Wow. All that stuff, you know, it's detailed. So you're going to be meeting and mentoring our Australian Idol contestants this week. Yes, Is, I are am. these the sort of things you're going to pass on to them about, about how to really sell us on? Uh, no, I, that's not my job. My job is to... Is to I think I'd like to hear it just quietly. I'm, in fact, I don't quite know what my job is, but I'll find out when I get there, I think. How, what do you think of, of a reality show as a way of becoming a famous singer? Do you, for instance, if you were a contestant back when you were starting out, do you think it would have worked for you? Oh, I have no idea. It's I don't have, that was too long ago. You know, and also, I, um, I'm not sure how real reality shows are anymore, you know. <laughs> I, uh, you know too much. 
Well, yeah, I do. You know, they kind of tell you what to do, and you know, it's not terribly real. <laughs> <laughs> now, I love the fact that you've done Law and Order, and I love the fact that you've just done Sex in the City. Can you quickly <laughs> tell me what you did in that? Well, I sing in that. Wow. I do a number at the very beginning of the, the uh, movie. And it's, it's a great number. Ron Lewis did it, who is my director and my choreographer, since 1970. Wow. Uh, I think that's my biggest talent, has always been to recognize people that are more talented than I am. Oh. And, and try and learn from them. And say, well, how do you do that? How, you know? But um, it was fun doing that. And uh, you married the gay guys, is that right? You're the marriage celebrant? Uh, yes, I married these two guys, and then uh, they asked me, you know, if I want to. It's a surprise, you'll see. <laughs> Look, I love it. It's been so lovely catching up with you. We only come once every two decades. Ah! So we've I'll got be to grab back the more often, trust me. Oh, we love to see you. Thank you so much, Liza. Thank you. Next up is a comedy genius, one of the brains behind the Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters. But did you know that the inspiration for Ghostbusters came from his real-life fascination with the paranormal? Or that he was once engaged to Carrie Fisher? Well, Dan Aykroyd, welcome to Australia. It does seem uh, you've left it till sort of quite late in the proceedings to pay us a visit. Any particular reason why? Uh, the proceedings of my life, do you mean uh, to I the do? point where I'm in uh, 61 years old? Yes, I know. I, I've loved this country ever since I watched The Flying Doctor as a kid uh, going home from school. Uh, you know, at four o'clock there in Hull, Quebec, in those cold winter nights, uh, and um, I've always wanted to come here. But uh, I've been doing, you know, just kind of busy doing things like raising a family and making movies and and, and making vodka and all that, but and music. So I haven't really had a time to come here till now. But uh, I, I really am enjoying it. This is a spectacular international city. Uh, do you sleep? <laughs> uh, I'm not very not very well. I, I kind of sleep in spurts, you know, little wolf naps. I uh, I, don't, I don't think I've slept nine hours uh, for the last 20 years. I, I go 45 minutes and then get up and do 20 and 35, you know. But but I do get to the REM Delta state because when you're dreaming, uh, you're in the REM REM Delta state, and I I do dream. And that's where your ideas come from? Uh, sometimes, sure. I, I solve a lot of writing problems dreaming. You know, if you come to a, a block and you can't solve it, I go to sleep on it and usually wake up in the morning and, uh, and have a view of it that, that helps me get through the, uh, the project. Have you ever had to pay for a pair of Ray-Bans since the Blues Brothers? Oh, I buy them all. No, no, really? they, they sent me nothing. No, you are kidding. No, 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 I bought them all. They're prescriptions, so... Yeah, but still the frames, they could sling you a couple of pairs. Uh, yeah, well... Ghostbusters, is it coming again? Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get that together. And will Bill Murray do it, or has he said no, 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 no? no. He, he's, he doesn't want to do it. it. No. But, uh, but if he walks in the door at the last minute, we'll make a hole for him. And I mean, he's, he's the sort of person who might do that, isn't he? Yeah, I'd love to see him come, at, even at the last minute, we'll figure it out. But, you know, he, like, he's done the part twice, and I can see how he want to move on in life. He's, he, look, Billy and I are friends first colleague second and uh, we have a friendship that no one can touch that's just ours alone and uh, that's what I want to salvage out of all of this is that friendship and I and I know we will be able to. You've achieved so much what is there yet for you to, to achieve what's on your bucket list? Uh, retirement. <laughs> really? Oh. You, you don't sound uh, like uh, the sort of person oh, who no. could retire. I'm not one of these people that uh, you know at, at 85 wants to be working I, I want I fully I'm lazy <laughs> want to get out want to ride my Harley uh, spend time with my family and basically just do nothing I really really do want to do nothing 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day, Sandra Sully here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you're looking for more to listen to, head over to Short Black with me next. I talk to all kinds of amazing women who are making a difference. Good women, great chat. Richard Chamberlain is one of Tinseltown's most versatile actors. From Dr Kildare and Shogun to The Thornbirds and the American TV series Brothers and Sisters, he has had an amazing career spanning more than 60 years. But for much of that time, he was holding on to a secret. A secret that one day he decided he could no longer keep. So many things to ask you, but the, the thing I need to start with is, do you have a picture in the attic? You look extraordinary. You look fantastic. I do look reasonably good for 81. <laughs> I'm 81 now. Um, I know that, but I certainly don't look like I used to. <laughs> oh, you look amazing. I, Thank you. I, I think like Dorian Gray, there's a, there's a picture up in the attic somewhere. It's so hideous. No, I don't <laughs> dare look at it anymore. <laughs> Uh, do you look after yourself? Do you know? Yes, is, it, I do. is it an accident that you're looking so fabulous? No, it's not an accident. I'm, I, I'm addicted to exercise, for instance. I always have been. Um, I like to get enough sleep. I like what I do. I like my job. Otherwise, I think it's genes or something, but because I haven't done anything. Nobody believes that, but I haven't I believe done you. anything, if you know what I mean. Yeah, in the Hollywood <laughs> sense. Yes, no, I believe you. Of course I believe you. Any man who's been in something as important to Australians as the Thornbirds could not possibly have done anything. What are your memories of the Thornbirds? Oh, gosh. It was an amazing job. I mean, the cast alone, working with people like Barbara Stanwyck and all those, oh, fabulous cast. And it was a wonderful story. It's, a, it's basically a, a, a first-rate soap opera, uh, really. But it's a wonderful story. One thing that surprised me about it was that it's so full of tragedy, that story. Mm. And people almost never talk about that when they come up and they say, oh, you and Maggie were so, you know, and they think it was all a big love story, but it was really quite tragic. And it surprised me that, in a funny way, people didn't view it that way. They it's not it their memory. Just this one, yeah, the memory is this lovely yeah. love story, of, you know, forbidden love, really. And you, you went back and revisited it, and that was your last visit to Australia, was it? When you... Yes, yes, yes. They persuaded me with a very... Uh, <laughs> with a lot of money <laughs> to do this mid-call, which I didn't really want to do, and uh, uh, Rachel didn't want to do it. And the, so um, we had a new Maggie and a new everybody. And uh, the Maggie we had uh, was beautiful and a wonderful actress, mm. but... We had no chemistry whatsoever. It was strange because Rachel and I got on so well and it was so great working with her. You called it a midquel. That's not a term I've ever heard before. Well, it's because uh, the, they, they, could, they, couldn't, uh, they couldn't do a sequel because no. I was dead by that time. And uh, they didn't have anything to do before the whole story started. So they invented a story that happened in the mid-section of that story. 
They're called a midquel. I am so surprised Hollywood hasn't grasped onto that and we haven't had midquels of Superman and Batman and everything else. It'll, mm. it'll happen. You spoke of Rachel Ward, of course, who has called Australia home for all this time, married mm. to Brian Brown and three very Aussie kids. Well, they fell in love, you know, on, on when we were doing uh, the Thornburgs. And I didn't like Brian at that time because, well, because we were such enemies in the film. Yeah. And sort of that's the way it felt off stage, too, because that's just the way it worked. And I, I, uh, Rachel and Brian were in town about a year ago, and Brian is the nicest guy. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't get to know him better when we were actually filming, because he's a really great guy. In this current age of TMZ and social media and, and the uh, intrusion into the lives, if you like, or we now know, seem to know so much about what everybody does in Hollywood, do you think you had it lucky that it was a bit of a better time before? Oh, all yeah, this? because, I mean, being gay in, uh, in uh, uh, this business was not welcome at all, especially for a, a leading man, uh, you know. A romantic leading man and so I was very careful to try to uh, walk that line of, uh, of unknownness. <laughs> did you have to keep it a secret? Oh absolutely. And when did you feel you no longer did have to keep when it a secret? When I was 68. 68. <laughs> and was that a good feeling when you were finally able to Well be the, the goodness, the good, the great part of, the, of what happened, I was writing a book and uh, it, about certain, about this subject in part, mostly about other things, but um, I, I, I remember a, a particular experience. I was writing in a little tiny room in Hawaii, and it was as if there was not an angel there, but it was as if an angel came into the room and said, Richard, because to, to give a little background to that, when you grow up, um, being a kind of person that is generally despised, you take that in and you begin to, in a, on some level, to despise yourself. It just happens. And it was as if this angel came in and said, Richard, that's all over. Because it's, a, it's just, a, being gay is just a, a benign fact, meaning almost nothing. Because you say you're straight, well, what does that tell you about a person? Does it tell you they're smart, dumb, good, kind, uh, hardworking, lazy? That tells you almost nothing. The same with the word gay. It tells you almost nothing about a person. And, and I was suddenly bone deep, soul deep, freed of that self-dislike that had weighed so heavily through my life. And it was, that part was just amazing. And then I was suddenly on, on book tours, yep. on all the talk shows, the important ones, big ones. Yeah. And all they wanted to talk about was being gay in Hollywood. And I was fine with that. The fear was just gone, wow. which was an, an amazing experience. That is incredible. Mm. And so quickly now, same, it seems quick when I say, of course it's not quick, it's taken years, but same-sex marriage, now seems to be on a roll here in this country. Yes. Um, are you are you excited by that? Do you think? Oh, I didn't realize how excited I would be until I heard the, the of the Supreme Court decision and all that. And suddenly I just welled up in yeah. tears, thinking, how wonderful, how wonderful, because love 
is love. Did you think you'd see it in your lifetime? Did you think that no. marriage equality would be something you'd see in your lifetime? No. no. She's quite extraordinary, mm. isn't it? Lindsay Lohan has been in the public eye since she was three years old and there's very little of her life that we don't know about. I know that in my past I was young and irresponsible, she once said, but that's what growing up is. You learn from your mistakes. She was memorable as one of the judges on Australia's first season of The Masked Singer and I caught up with her just as the juggernaut of a show was taking off. Is this the craziest show you've ever worked on? It's pretty nutso. Everything is been a whirlwind and so unexpected but really fun i've had a lot of fun how do you actually describe it it's like a very strange version of coachella burning man which i've never even been to but it's very trippy <laughs> let's talk about the judges jackie and danny now i'm calling you charlie's angels because we've got a blonde a brunette and a redhead i know jackie for many years and danny's just fabulous we have a lot of fun together and we're always texting each other either we have like bachelor girls nights and we watch the bachelor or we can <laughs> hang out after and just and even if it's here or back at wherever each of us are staying. But it's been really fun. They've been really helpful to me because I don't know many of the people that they're guessing and I don't know a lot of Australian lingo. It's my first time here. So it's been really great to have two girls on my side. How are you going with the Australian celebrities? It's like going to school for learning Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're all like detectiving it. So it's, it's really helpful. The voices are amazing. And staying in these costumes, it's just really hard for them to be in there for that long and to perform the way they perform is great. So if they don't do such a great performance, tell me, did the three of you turn into mean girls? See what I did there? <laughs> no, no, no one turns into mean girls. I think the only mean girl that we've had is Susie. And he keeps guessing dead people, which well, is not. really strange. <laughs> it's kind of his shtick at this point. You're a singer. Can you imagine being dressed in a suit like that and having to do this yourself? I don't know if I'd want to do it as much as they have to, <laughs> <laughs> but I do like dressing up. It makes me think of Elton John when he was performing in all of his costumes and he was so comfortable with it and confident with it. Maybe it's easier because you don't have to actually show who you are. So you can kind of be whoever you are in that costume. You did this amazing Insta post and you bunged on an Australian accent. Oh, I'm a big fan of Neighbours, so... Is that where you picked uh, it up from? I'm hanging for a meat pie, get me one straight away. He's really good. <laughs> would you ever be in Neighbours if they asked you? Yeah, I would love to, because it's a show that I've watched for a long time, especially when I was in London. It was always on my TV. Well, if we could totes get you on set and Would I have to, an Australian accent, what I use, or what I use? You could be whatever you like. You could, dream up the character. Who would you play? Maybe I could come in and, like, be a therapist. <laughs> therapist. I love it. Because they always are talking about each other too much. Sit on my couch. <laughs> Tell me what you're thinking. I like it. How much... Have you loved being in Australia for the first time? I love it. You know, my favorite is going to Bondi Beach and working with a foundation called Ways of Wellness. And it's working with children who have gone through trauma and adults as well, PTSD and everything. And I'm really passionate about working with kids and, and through sports and surfing and the ocean where you have a safe place to actually speak and talk. It's really nice there. It's just very chill. I mean, people with no shoes on, getting out of the water. It was a very nice feeling. My little brother, he's not had always the best relationship with my father, and he always kind of strives for that. And when he says, Lindsay, I have to tell you, when I go surfing and I'm out in the ocean, it clears my head and I can actually think. And so I think it's really important to share that and give a safe space for people to talk. Use something that's so much around us here in Australia. Especially during Shark Week. <laughs> <laughs> You're wearing, I think, a great Australian designer today, Alex Perry. Yeah. Have you been loving the clothes, sick, while you've been here? Have you been getting to wear some great stuff? Yeah, it's been really fun actually playing dress up and doing fittings and everything. And it's hard to outshine the costumes. 
And it's fun when all the girls do a lot of sequins together and we kind of try and do this similar things with each other. You're going to take anything home? I'm going to have to buy two new suitcases to go home. Good girl. <laughs> have you got any new music planned? Are we going to be hearing anything from you soon? I do. Oh, do tell. I was actually writing last night. I've been in writing sessions as well as doing this and recording. Recording here? Yeah. I'm working with a girl called Alma. Right. And an Australian, Patrick James. Patrick James. Have you filmed a clip here or anything? Not yet. They're kind of making me wait, which is really frustrating. I'm also writing a TV series that will come out in America. What's the TV show? Can you tell me anything about it? Almost like a reality show, but not a reality show. Like a hyper version of yourself sort of thing? Yes. Maybe? And kind of the, being a puppet master. Wow. Are you in it? Yeah, yeah. And my siblings. And your siblings. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. You've been busy. How do you cram it all in? I like being busy. It's fun. It is. What else am I going to do? I mean... Well, you're going to schedule the neighbour's role, which we'll have ready for you by Friday, I think. I can get that happening. So you're my agent here now. If that's okay. I've just got the contacts. We can, we can make it fast. We can skip all the middlemen and make it happen nice and quickly. I think that sounds like a plan. Finally today, here is one of my BFFs. William Shatner is one of the funniest people I know. He always has me in stitches. This next clip is from a catch-up we had at his place in L.A. And I honestly don't know how I got through it. I was struggling to keep a straight face even before we started. I understand that the Australian mindset it lags. There's, a, there's slow speakers, so I'll say something, and then you guys got to digest it. <laughs> Takes about a second and a half for the slow that, Australian... That is a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're coming to Australia again. Do you have a second home there? You have been a lot. In order to fit in, do I have to pause a second and a half before I answer? Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> you ask me a question and we leave a gap just so just so it's it's all equal. What was your question? You're always coming to Australia. Have you got, I'm a, always secret, coming have to you got Australia. a secret house? Have you got a secret place down there? I'm always coming to Australia because it's one of the great countries. I've been with you during these fires, you know, in Thank spirit. Uh, I was in Kangaroo Island last time I was there, and apparently it, it burned, right? Very badly. How did Kangaroo Island burn when it's separated by water? That is just how devastating these bushfires have oh, been. Oh, my Lord. And believe it or not, we're now facing floods. I, I know, the rains. It's just it's, incredible. It's, uh, it's terrible. Uh, my heart is out. It goes out to you all there. Uh, I hope that uh, the, the Australian spirit will manifest itself and rebuild immediately. That's what we've got going for us. What do you love about Australian fans? I love the kangaroos. <laughs> do they come to the conventions <laughs> of course, to see you? Of course, they stay one jump ahead of you. Uh, <laughs> what do I love about them? They're, they're very funny. Yes, uh, we the, are. The Australians laugh a lot, mm -hmm. uh, especially when I'm speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to be doing any singing when you're down there? You've got a new blues album no, coming out. No, I have a blues album coming out. Would you do a gig? Would what? you Would you do a gig at a at a nightclub or at a bar? Well, or if something? the money were good, of course. We could but, pass uh, the hat around. And not in uh, and not in Australian dollars. <laughs> oh, you want real money? <laughs> no, right. <laughs> <laughs> I need to rehearse and be really up on it. I have toured uh, uh, with an album that I've promoted here and there, but uh, I'm not ready to sing right now. Uh, or not there. even a little bit now? No, no. Not especially, just for me? Especially just for not me. now. Oh, <laughs> please, just a little bit. Oh, oh, no, don't, don't do that feminine, please, bit. 
we got to do what we can. The, the horrible secret that I only let out when I'm talking to Australia is that I can't sing. What I do is a musical, is a onomatopoeia, if you will. Uh, and I love the word, the onomatopoeia of the English language, the rhythm, the sense, the, the, the melodic line of the English language. Yeah. That's what I do. And I try to mix that in with the melody line. And I've reinterpreted, uh, the, in this blues album, I've just reinterpreted many of these blues songs. See, I think that's brilliant. So you could come and do a song with our band, which is called, are you ready? Yeah. Hard and Fast from Behind. That's the name of the band. That's one of my most embarrassing moments. <laughs> <laughs> do you love award shows? Are they no, something... you mean to watch them? No, to be in them. Uh, no, I hate being in them. Uh, it's, it's, but all, the only exception I make is if I get an award. Then it's good. Then I love going to award <laughs> shows. <laughs> but, but if you're somebody, if you're one of the five and somebody else has imagined, I'd rather be someplace else, you know, <laughs> like in Australia. Or that far away. <laughs> um, do, do most fans talk to you about Star Trek or do you find it's across the range of things? Well, I've done other things I know, other than yeah. Star Trek. I, I, I'm pretty much known as Shatner on the street. Just Shatner on yeah, the street? Yeah. That's what people no, say? No, Shatner when I'm on the street. Okay, and they go, hey, Shatner. Uh, uh, on the street, right? On the street. <laughs> it's like a rap. <laughs> <laughs> What's the weirdest place anyone's asked for a selfie with what, you? I, the weirdest place someone's asked for a selfie with you? The weirdest place? Yeah. Uh, in a toilet. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What at the at the urinal? At a ur no at a urinal. Well, that's in the toilet. No, well, I, I mean where 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 business is really conducted. Oh, right. And they asked you for a selfie yeah, in there. Yeah, walked right in. Oh, you're kidding? No, I'm not kidding. What did you say? What did I say? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you don't mind? Can I, can I stand up? <laughs> Never a dull moment with that man. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Starstruck as much as we've enjoyed putting it all together. We're taking a short break now, but we'll be back with more soon. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Ange Bishop and this has been Starstruck, a Studio 10 podcast for 10 speakers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.